Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. What's stolen back my sling from Sophie? I'm Robert Evans, host of Behind the Bastards, and I have stolen back the bagel-flinging sling that Sophie stole from me uh, and will very soon use it in a way that is damaging to both property and people. Um, Also, this is a podcast where occasionally we talk about bad people, but more often than not these days, I just do increasingly reckless things because no one has stopped me. I haven't been canceled yet. Oh, you 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 are in Cancelvania, as we determined last episode. And tell us who your roommates are currently. Uh, well, I'm living with Louis C.K., which mm-hmm. is, let me tell you, pretty uncomfortable. Yeah, Miles didn't love him as a roommate no, when he was in Cancelvania. No, no, not great. Okay. Not great. Uh, also, bad at cleaning. <laughs> I'll give it, you know what, I'll give it to him. Cook's a pretty decent omelet. Not okay. a bad omelet cooker. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's got positives and negatives. Never cleans the toilet. I would expect that. And Louis C.K. can damage a toilet, let me tell you. I believe it. You know who else who could damage a toilet? Jerry Falwell. And Ronald Reagan. (laughs) (laughs) Those jelly beans did not come out smooth. I don't know why we're talking about poop. It's (laughs) because you're an odd duck and I followed you. Yep, yep, yep. To the poop. To the poop. That's where I'm a good friend. <laughs> Follow you. That, that, that's the true meaning of friendship. <laughs> that's how you know it's real. That's how you know it's real. Speaking of real, 
Yeah, this is a bad lead-in. Ronald Reagan today is such an icon among the religious right that it's easy to forget he wasn't always viewed this way. You have to remember that back before his eight years in office, before his monstrous and unforgivable failure to respond to the AIDS epidemic, Reagan had a reputation for being a somewhat libertine playboy movie star. He had tons of gay friends. He was plugged into the Hollywood set. Reagan had long been conservative, but he was not seen as a member of the religious right. Of course, some of that had to do with the fact that the religious right did not really exist when Reagan was in politics. Jimmy Carter, on the other hand, was and is a deeply devout evangelical Christian. Even today, at age roughly 170, he spends most of his free time building houses for the poor. The fact that the moral majority and the bulk of American evangelical Christians broke for Reagan in the 1980 election was a strange, novel development. On this subject, Doug Banwert writes... Although Reagan was not the perfect conservative, he was better than Carter, who had not accomplished significant legislation or executive orders to appease the evangelical community. Bruce Bursuma wrote that the moral majority was pinning its hopes on Ronald Reagan in the presidential election. The moral majority, Christian Voice, and other Christian political organizations hoped that they could have a real evangelical social conservative on which they could depend in the White House. Carter was not sufficient. So Carter's crying right now. Yeah. He's like, I was not sufficient. Yeah, oh, I mean, Jimmy Carter made the mistake of actually, like, 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 like reading about the stuff Jesus said, uh, and, and working And interpreting with, it in a positive way. Yeah, and using it as, like, oh, I should probably take care of, of the poor. poor people and yeah. the disenfranchised. Exactly. Uh, whereas Jerry Falwell read it and said, well, clearly black people aren't supposed to go to school with white kids. <laughs> <laughs> and Reagan was like, oh... I think mentally ill people have been <laughs> having it too easy. Mm-hmm. He Release wasn't a big them upon the black streets. People either. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, Ronald Reagan, uh, the the only Republican to push for massive gun control, uh, didn't get attacked. Still, does not get attacked for it because the purpose of it was to disarm black people. That's a story we'll tell at some point. <sighs> yeah, that's why California has uh, bans on open carrying. Actually. Cool stuff. Cool story. Ronald Reagan. Now, uh, one of the chief My reasons... My hero. Yeah, everybody's hero. <laughs> of course. Of course. One of the chief reasons Jerry Falwell and the devout throngs he spoke for disliked Carter was his support for feminism. Back in the 1960s and early 70s, when the feminist movement had first launched, it had seen tepid support from conservative Christian circles. This started to change in the mid-1970s, largely as a result of the feminist movement's decision to treat gay people like human beings and not diseased pariahs. Yay! Yeah, real tactical misstep there. In November 1977, the National Women's Conference was held in Houston, Texas. Feminist activists declared an alliance with several gay rights groups. At a meeting earlier in the year, feminist activists had noted that lesbians made up a significant portion of the movement. They felt yeah, no this- shit. Lesbians yeah. fucking run shit. Mm-hmm. You want somebody to make a fucking Excel spreadsheet and show up on time? You get a lesbian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm just giving advice out here for people who are trying I, to hire. I, I'm like, I'm get a lesbian. seconding that advice. Yeah. Uh, also, it's pretty easy to pirate Microsoft Excel. I don't have anything else to add. It's just in Google Docs. You can use their sheets, too. Yeah, but that's not stealing something. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) Yeah. You really want to be transgressive. 
you have a lesbian woman steal Microsoft Excel and then really, really fight in the power. <laughs> Show it to Mr. Paperclip. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, the uh, uh, so yeah, the National Women's Conference acknowledged that the oppression faced by gay people was very much rooted in many of the same things that caused the oppression of women in American society. Intersectionalism, you could call it. Morally, this was the right decision, but it led to a tremendous backlash against feminism by America's most intolerant Christians. Two years before the establishment of the moral majority, Jerry Falwell said this about the gay rights movement. Though they claim to be another poorly treated minority, homosexuals are involved in open immorality as they practice perversion. They are not a minority any more than murderers, rapists, or other sinners are a minority. Since they cannot reproduce, they proselyte. Proselyte? Proselyte. He's saying that they, they have to recruit people. And this is like, so Jerry, like there's a conspiracy now, like if you watch like Alex Jones's show and they're reporting on like the drag queen story hour, there's this like belief among them that it's like this this attempt by the LGBT community to recruit To recruit kids. young people, yeah. Jerry Falwell invents that conspiracy theory. He's like the first really prominent voice saying that like, well, because obviously being gay isn't something natural. It's not something that like just a certain portion of the population is always going to be because that's just the way that, human beings are as well as every other species that reproduces sexually are um like he decides the only way that they can make new gay people is to convert children um and like that's obvious like now like you could run into a shitload today it's like a huge conspiracy theory and we have jerry falwell to thank for that so that that's cool I mean, I don't know where that comes from. It's like, do you think straights are out there teaching straight people how to straight? Yeah, it does kind of insinuate that, like, being straight isn't natural either, and you just have to, like, capture kids with whatever. Right? Yeah. That the kids just come out completely without any identities, mm -hmm. and then, like, wh whoever catches them first. Yeah. That's the sexuality they're going to get. Yeah, they're like they're like birds imprinting on the first thing they see out of the egg. So lucky the first thing I saw when I came out was a penis and a vagina. That's how I became bi mm -hmm. right away. Yeah. Was a weird hospital you were born in. I mean, it was an all-nude <laughs> hospital, my request. <laughs> Nudist hospital. It was, <laughs> I requested that in the womb. I would love it if we just did a shot-for-shot -shot remake of ER, but everyone's naked. And they never, ever they address it. They never address it. Not for one second. I would love it. Mm -hmm. Not so just because I, I want to see like... Oh, Clooney's... Clooney's dick. Yeah. Also, I was a Noah Wiley fan. Oh, yeah. He was hot. But I, I mean... I kind of really wanted them to kiss always, but they never would. Mm -hmm. Sorry, that was a personal journey I took. <laughs> I, I have some good news for you. There's about 400,000 pages of fan fiction where they do, in fact, consummate that relationship. So... I know what I'm doing after this podcast. I, I am excited for what deep fakes are going to do for fan fiction uh, uh, romances. Like that's <laughs> it's really going to be groundbreaking. I'm horny already. Yeah. So is Reddit. Oh yeah, I should probably read the podcast that we're doing. I was thinking about George Clooney and Noah Wiley. Me too. Uh, yeah, we all were. So Jimmy Carter was far from an outspoken gay rights advocate during his time in office, although he has since. Uh, been, been very outspoken about that. But he did lend his vocal support to the feminist movement, including the 1977 National Women's Conference. To Falwell and his fellow evangelicals, this made Jimmy Carter a traitor to God's cause. They further hated Carter for his liberal policies on the value of social programs. Compounding this was the fact that the mid to late 1970s was a time of deep economic stagnation and high unemployment. Now, this recession had actually started at the tail end of Nixon's time in power, and it reached its deepest severity during Gerald Ford's presidency uh, and continued 
continued through Carter's term in office. The actual causes of this stagflation, which is a term we all learned in high school, uh, are complex and multifaceted, rooted in a combination of enormous government spending on the Vietnam War, surging oil prices, and a series of union strikes. Things actually improved economically during Carter's term, but not quickly enough for Falwell and his fellows on the religious right. Rather than see the recession as what it was, a complex disaster brought on by many different decisions, particularly those made by Richard Nixon, they decided the politic move would be to blame the economy on social programs. This tied in with a growing belief among the religious right that the federal government was incapable of handling social programs. They wanted churches, guided by powerful pastors like Jerry Falwell, to see to the poor and disenfranchised. Falwell expressed this wish. Let us train See past- to the poor, such yeah. a fucking <laughs> hilariously privileged, like, turn of phrase. It's like, oh, someone see to the poor. Yeah. Please. And there's this idea that, like, if the government's taking care of them, then they're basically slaves to the government as opposed to Yeah, it's like, why would we care about them? Us. That's gross. Yeah. Government, government, please get in here. Yes. Please take care of the poor, shall you? Yeah. Yeah, and it's like like it is it is kind of rooted in this idea that he had that like he should he and other pastors should own the poor should like control them like because they they clearly believe that the government like that's one of the lines you'll hear on the right is that like well if you have all these social programs then basically like all these people are indebted to the government and they're they're just going to vote for more social programs but it's like if you're saying that you want churches to take care of it and you're just saying you want those churches to control people to their be lives. indebted to the church of course yeah yeah, yeah it's cool. Cool way for things to have work. Yeah, Jerry Falwell was a committed anti-communist, and he also saw the social safety net that Democrats had increasingly invested in since the New Deal as fundamentally dangerous. In 1976, he preached that if God lifts his hand from America, it's all over. And if America loses her freedom, the free world is gone. America should bless the world with expensive health care and not being able to feed your family. Also, it's always like motherfuckers being like, oh, I know what everybody should be doing that you're like, no one literally asked you ever. Yeah. But no, this is what the moral, this is the moral uh, agenda I have for the poors who I now own, mm-hmm. which is so just so weird. And also there's a fundamental belief that poor people are somehow different from rich people. Yeah. You know, that they're like of a lower stock well, if and they a different caste. They'd be rich. Yeah, that's the whole thing. It's like, it comes, it's such a deep-seated thing that like, it's the feudalism. poor masses, it's always like, oh, yeah, they're fucking dumb. They're yeah. dumb as hell. Otherwise, they'd be us. Yeah. Otherwise, they would have started a mega church and uh, a And made money program. off of yeah. themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, like, it's neo-feudalism, you know? That's, totally. That's what Jerry Falwell wants to be, is like a, a little king with a castle and some peasants who have to do what he says. Now, and for Jerry Falwell, America losing its freedom was synonymous with America spending money on stuff like food stamps. In the late 1970s, he made increasing claims that, quote, federal welfare checks went to bums who wouldn't work in a pie shop eating the holes out of donuts. Jerry Falwell. I love that he thinks that's a job. (laughs) And also, I want that job. I do want that job. I do want that job. To Jerry Falwell, the roots of the economic crisis weren't a global dependence on oil, OPEC's domination of the oil market, or the outrageous spending by several presidential administrations on a failed war. The cause was welfare spending. From Falwell, because of the heavy taxation demanded for the support of a sick and unbalanced welfare program, the very heart is being cut out of the business community. The government seems to be committed to taxing the successful businessmen right out of business. (laughs) Yeah, it's a real problem in the 70s, businessmen being taxed out of business. 
And so, for all these reasons, in 1980, the moral majority turned its back on the most committed evangelical Christian to ever hold executive office and instead turned towards movie star Ronald Reagan. Wild. Yeah. And Reagan didn't really know how to deal with the moral majority. Like, he was didn't really talk about his Christian worldview in his first campaign. He didn't really talk about, like, how it had impacted his beliefs or anything like that. Like, he, he wasn't that guy. Like, nowadays, you can't imagine a Republican winning by not. Like, even if, like, it's Trump, like, misquoting Bible verses, they've got to, like, do that shit. Reagan really didn't in his first campaign. And it was actually revealed during the election that he donated less than 1% of his income to religious causes, which is way short of like the 10% tithing that you're supposed to do. But for the first and only time, Christian conservatives decided it was okay to vote for a man who wasn't religious and against a man who profoundly was uh, in order to get tax benefits. Because money's the real God. Yeah, that, that really is like the... That's my conspiracy theory about Jerry Falwell. So once Reagan got elected, uh, evangelicals of the moral majority uh, came to believe that they had a president who would advance their agenda of like getting rid of abortion and bringing back school prayer and getting governments to let them not have black kids at their schools. Um, And a lot of people who were like rational observers of all of this thought that they were kind of fooling themselves. Um, because there was really no chance that Reagan was going to do any of that shit. Like, he was a conservative, but Ronald Reagan wasn't going to wade into, like, pulling away Roe v. Wade or reinstituting, like, school prayer or anything like that. And so, like, while they were in office, Reagan's administration would kind of, like, talk nicely to the moral majority, but he actually didn't do most of the stuff that they wanted. Um, The Reagan administration proved to be a huge disappointment for Jerry Falwell. Throughout his first year in office, Ronnie refused to go after any of the social issues the new Christian right had voted him into office to deal with. Abortion remained legal. Mandatory school prayer remained illegal. Feminism continued its slow march forward. The only social arena in which Reagan's corporatist chunk of the Republican Party remained in line with the religious right was the oppression of gay people. So at least there's that for Jerry. Nice to find some common ground. Common ground. The the common ground is stomping on the head of a, yeah, yeah. Conservatives in San Francisco (laughs) attempted to criminalize homosexuality during Reagan's term, and the moral majority launched a boycott of sponsors for TV shows that included anything they considered an abomination in the eyes of God. As the AIDS crisis kicked off and the death toll started to rise from the hundreds to the thousands to the tens of thousands, Jerry Falwell was there to blame the catastrophe on gay people. I'm going to quote next from a National Institutes of Health publication, The Social Impact of AIDS on the United States. The Reverend Jerry Falwell, an independent Baptist minister, in a sermon titled How Many Roads to Heaven, delivered on his nationally televised old-time gospel hour, stated that God was bringing an end to the sexual revolution through the AIDS epidemic. He also said, they, gay men, are scared to walk near one of their own kind right now, and what we preachers have been unable to do with our preaching, a God who hates sin has stopped dead in its tracks by saying, do it and die, do it and die. Falwell's political organization, Moral Majority, opposed governmentally funded research to find a cure for AIDS because the disease was a gay problem. He promoted the idea that AIDS was not only God's judgment on gay men, but also that divine judgment extended to all of society. AIDS is a lethal judgment of God on America for endorsing this vulgar, perverted, and reprobate lifestyle. Strong condemnations of gay sexuality as the cause of AIDS and God's vengeance also appeared in some religious journals. One of them affirmed God warned mankind about AIDS in Numbers 32-23 when he said, Be sure your sin will find you out. Maybe the AIDS plague will educate the world that the Bible is still the bedrock of civilization, and it should be learned, loved, and lived in our daily lives. Wow. I really feel like... uh 
getting people to get into Christianity by saying that God could occasionally punish you with AIDS mm -hmm. is really not the strongest pitch I've heard for Christianity. I really feel like that's not... If you throw that bagel, you're out of the show. I'm just prepping You're it. fired. Sophie's face is I'm, very I'm angry. I'm just prepping it. I have to deal with my rage at reading that paragraph somehow, and the way I'm doing it is by putting my sling bag together and getting it loaded. All right. You load it up, but you don't throw it yet. Not yet. If you hit the dog. She's not in here. Oh, okay. Yeah, so this is the best time to throw a bagel, really. See? I planned this out. <laughs> I didn't. The exact impact of Falwell and the moral majority on the death toll of the AIDS crisis is impossible to calculate. As with the 1970s recession, this was a disaster with many factors behind it. We dealt with some of that in our two-parter on the Reagans and the AIDS epidemic. The total death toll to AIDS would measure close to half a million by the year 2000. Much of the government inaction on AIDS during the crucial early years of the outbreak can be blamed on the religious rights' vicious rejection of any money being spent to help people sick with what was then called the gay plague. It's nuts to me to be like, oh, um, we're going to meddle in your business and tell you that you can't be gay, but also... Um, now that you need help for what we've called a gay disease, mm -hmm. we're going to just completely step away. How do you, how do you have it both ways where you're like meddling and telling people what to do, but then you're also like, no, but then not this part. It's the same way it always works with these people where the only actual moral consistency is hate. Yeah, like, it's it, true. It's There's not, no actual philosophy that can stand up to anything. Yeah. If you think about the core of it being hate then it all is consistent. Yeah. Because they, their justification will change and like they'll say like, yeah, we shouldn't spend any money. Uh, like we, we can't, you know, spend any money to like help out gay people, but also like uh, we can't consider homosexuality in any way as like a government and like all these different like contradictory things. But the core of it is just they want gay people to die. Yeah. And so so it, if you think yeah. about it like that, then yeah, they're like completely yeah. consistent. Very consistent. Kind of want everyone who's not white and wealthy to die. Um, but they hide the wealthy part from the people that they need to vote. I mean, that's Trump right now also. It's the same. Yeah. It's, this is kind of where the core of that as a political movement came from. Because, like, before this, like, there were conservatives. Uh, but they were, like, 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 Nixon, the shitty stuff he did was kind of, like, there was a lot of shitty stuff he did. But you could also have a guy like Nixon who would do like rational things like, well, but of course we need to protect the environment and like, okay, I'll open trade with China, even though like there are our big nemesis. Like that seems yeah, quaint now. He'd also bomb Cambodia in the yeah. stone age, but like, he's not gonna like he's, he's, it was just different, different kind of shitty. Yep. Yeah. We've really evolved. We really have evolved, thanks to Jerry Falwell. <laughs> now, there was an appeal during this time on the Christian Broadcasting Network uh, where they asked their followers to write the Justice Department in opposition to any relaxation of the rule against immigration of HIV-infected persons, uh, and that don't generated 40,000 letters. And I can't think of Damn. anything more Christ-like than not wanting sick immigrants to be helped. Yeah. As, as Jesus like, said, fuck, fuck you got mine. Yeah. <laughs> Famous... Famous Jesus, Jesus quote. quote. Yeah. So, uh, abortion remained a key issue for the moral majority throughout the 1980s. They did not see much support from the Reagan administration on this. Falwell's tactic was to seek a constitutional amendment to overturn Roe v. Wade. Since the Supreme Court had already declared that this undue restriction of abortion was a violation of constitutional rights, his first step towards achieving this was the Human Life Bill, 
which would have written into American law that life begins at conception and that a fetus is a living person. But the human life bill never passed. Falwell's embrace of this tactic set the tone of the abortion debate, though, in a way that rings through to this day. The Reagan administration was never quite willing to take real action, though, uh, because that would have cost them the political capital that they preferred to spend on deregulation and deinstitutionalization. But later on, Reagan et al. would throw a few bones to the moral majority. In 1982, one of his allies in the Senate introduced a constitutional amendment that would have made it legal to have official school prayers as long as individual students or teachers couldn't be forced to say that prayer. The amendment never came particularly close to passing, and Reagan himself failed to go to bat for it in any significant way, though. Early in 1982, Reagan's Justice and Treasury Departments did reverse the IRS revocation of tax-exempt status for Bob Jones University, but this sparked a massive backlash at the administration for basically supporting segregation with taxpayer dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Papa Jones keeps insisting. They're he, like, no, we're we're really committed to segregation. Yeah, it's our religious beliefs. It's not based on racism. It's based on... What we think God wants, yeah. which we know about better yeah. than anyone. Which is racism. But not our racism. No, God's. God. So yeah, it's fine. That. It's totally not us. Yeah. So uh, Reagan backpedaled and announced that he was now seeking a congressional ban on tax exemptions for racially discriminatory schools. This happened. And so while the moral majority wound up supporting Reagan's reelection campaign, the Christian right came out the other side of the Reagan years deeply disappointed in conservative politics. We only got some of what we wanted. Mm. We didn't get everything. Jerry Falwell, however, was not the kind of guy to put all of his eggs in one basket. Throughout the early years of the moral majority, and over the course of Reagan's two terms, Jerry fought an epic battle for the soul of the First Amendment with a man who might rightly be viewed as his greatest nemesis. Larry Flint. Larry Flint, baby. Yeah. Finally, a hero. Finally, a hero arrives. And we're going to talk about that hero. But you know what else is a hero, Sophia? No. The corporations who sponsor this podcast. Coke Industries? You mean Coke Heroin Industries? Heroin Industries? Buy Coke products. No. No? No. Sophie's so mad at you. Sophie's very mad at me. Sorry, I'm distracted thinking about when I'm going to utilize this sling next. The mold on that bagel is truly disgusting. Isn't it so gross? There's so much mold on this bagel. He keeps putting it next to the food I actually put in my mouth, and I'm like, why are you doing that? Uh, I can't explain my actions. I just do them. Speaking of which, products! I'm Robert Evans, host of Behind the Bastards, and after a long day of reading about terrible people, nothing helps me calm down like cooking and eating a great meal. But it takes a long time to go to the grocery store and to figure out like different recipes to cook, which is why HelloFresh has been so simple for me. They mail the food right to your door along with pre-measured ingredients and step-by-step recipes that can help you put a great dinner together in less than 30 minutes. There's 20-plus seasonal chef-curated recipes each week, and they have a variety of different types, from family recipes to low-calorie recipes to vegetarian recipes. So, you know, it's flexible. You can add extra meals to your weekly order, as well as add-ons like garlic bread or cookie dough. You can change your delivery days on a week-to-week basis. So uh, if you want to have the great experience I have and, you know, save a lot of time by using HelloFresh, you can get nine free meals right now by going to HelloFresh.com slash BTB9. That's HelloFresh.com slash BTB9 and use the code BTB9 for nine free meals. Again, HelloFresh.com slash BTB9. We're back, and Sophie's saying mean things to me, I think in an attempt to get me to throw this bagel. 
No one's attempting to get you to throw that bagel. Everybody's excited for me to throw this bagel. That's really the highlight of the show. That's what keeps the listeners coming back. If that bagel touches me, you can I, totally all bets steal are off. from him, too. I, I can't promise it won't. I can't promise what I'll do. Uh, that's fine. Great. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a tense standoff. I can't wait to see how it resolves. Every podcast, nothing goes better with an audio medium than a standoff based oh, yeah. mainly on eye contact. I'm also, just saying I would pick her in a fight. <laughs> yeah. Also, I, we're this, wearing pretty much the exact same outfit, kind of. We are wearing the exact same outfit. So if It's going to be like party, me fighting my own change. shadow. Sophie, can that be the ad plug for the or the uh, the the video plug for the episode? Like you guys fighting? Mm-hmm. I mean, sure. Okay, <laughs> we'll shadow box. So uh, we're talking about Larry Flint. We finally have a hero. Are you excited for this? So excited! You like you big fan of Larry Flint? I mean, who doesn't love Larry Flint? Larry Flint. That movie of, was so fun. Yeah, one of the best smut peddlers there that who has ever yeah. peddled smut. And I, I say that top with, three with love. In case you aren't aware, Larry Flint is one of the most infamous uh, smut peddlers of all time. He's the founder of Hustler Magazine, a trailblazer in the field of pornography, and as a child, he claims to have lost his virginity to a literal chicken. Did you know that? No. Yeah. He fucked he, a chicken? Yeah, he grew up on a farm, and he said, like, farm kids would fuck animals, and that's how he lost it. He claimed for years that's how he lost his virginity, to a chicken. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, I figured farm animals, sure, but a he, chicken seems very... He Peckish. was really sp- specific and consistent and about the fact that so he fucked gross. a chicken. I mean, Ugh. they have to be able to push an egg out, so I imagine there would be more room in there for your for teenage your farm boy dick. Oh, I hate this. Continue. <laughs> I just, I just, everyone should know that the hero of today's episode is a chicken fucker. <laughs> <laughs> and no one's even going to care by the end of this story. Yeah, because he, he, he's on the right side of history. Yeah. Now, Larry Flint, as a chicken fucking porn salesman, is perhaps an unlikely pick for the man who literally saved free speech as we know it. But he is, in fact, the man who literally saved free speech as we know it. His story is extremely well documented, and you can find a number of different write-ups of what happened. For our purposes, I'm going to quote the man, the myth, the legend, the chicken rapist himself, Larry Flint. This is for an article he wrote for the LA Times, talking about the duel between him and Falwell and how it first began. I was publishing Hustler Magazine, which most people know has been pushing the envelope of taste from the very beginning, and Falwell was blasting me every chance he had. He would talk about how I was a slime dealer responsible for the decay of all morals. He called me every terrible name he could think of, names as bad, in my opinion, as any language used in my magazine. After several years of listening to him bash me and read his insults, I decided it was time to start poking some fun at him. So we ran a parody ad in Hustler, a takeoff on the then-current Campari ads in which people were interviewed describing their first time. In the ads, it ultimately became clear that the interviewees were describing their first time sipping Campari, but not in our parody. We had Falwell describing his first time as having been with his mother, drunk off our God-fearing asses in an outhouse. (laughs) (laughs) Suck it, Falwell. Yeah. Pastor Falwell... Did not take this joke well. Oh, it's so crazy. He seems like he would have such a good sense of humor. You think he'd humor. be able to laugh at himself yeah. with all the pranks he's pulled on other people. <laughs> like that hilarious burning down the street prank. I mean. He did not find this funny. And he sued Larry and his magazine for libel in Virginia. The lawsuit started in 1983, not long after the moral majority found themselves frustrated by Reagan waffling on tax exemptions and school prayer. It's possible Jerry's hunger for a win is part of what drove him in this endeavor. For a while, the case went well for him. Flint lost in the jury trial and again in federal appeals court. 
Now, if Flint had lost, he'd have had to pay Jerry $200,000 for, in Larry's words, hurting his feelings. Um, (laughs) He wasn't willing to do this, and so he appealed to the U.S. Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, where he lost again. So Larry appealed once more, uh, and that was a decision with significant cost uh, to him. He spent about $3 million in total on the lawsuits. But by escalating it this high, he also kind of risked the First Amendment. Uh, for everybody, um, which was a, a certainly a complicated decision to weigh, um, because since it had been escalated to the Supreme Court and like way out of like Virginia politics, um, that meant that like now what was at stake wasn't just a state level libel trial. Uh, Larry was, and he claims he didn't really think about this at the time, taking a gamble with the entirety of the First Amendment. Um, so now, like the case was not just about like whether or not he'd violated Virginia law, but whether or not the First Amendment protected powerful people from being made fun of. Um, And that like kind of was the core of the Supreme Court case that Larry Flint waged against uh, Jerry Falwell. And if he'd lost, it would have essentially removed First Amendment protections from the parody of public figures. Thankfully for all of us, but most particularly late night TV hosts, the justices ruled that even gross and repugnant parody of a public figure was protected by the First Amendment. I mean, satire, if we don't have satire, what do, what do we, we have? have? And that's what the Supreme Court decided. And so because of Larry Flint, that's not something we even have to debate over. It's like settled jurisprudence. Um, so that's good. Uh, Chief Justice Rehnquist uh, explained that had they ruled against Flint, all any public figure would ever have to prove is that a writer made them feel bad to sue them and their publication into oblivion, um, which, yeah, would have brought about the end of free speech as we know it. So Larry Flint both gambled and saved free speech uh, in the course of a couple of years. Good for you, Larry. Good for you, Larry. Yeah. I'm going to quote from Larry's write-up again. Everyone was shocked at our victory, and no one more so than Falwell, who on the day of the decision called me a sleaze merchant hiding behind the First Amendment. Still, over time, Falwell was forced to publicly come to grips with the reality that this is America, where you can make fun of anyone you want. Yeah. Yeah. As the 1990s rolled along, the death toll from AIDS. Sorry, we're getting back to AIDS now. Yeah, you can't read that in the same happy voice. You just read that decision. Nope. Nope. Tone shifting is a real problem for me. But here we are. Uh, The death toll from AIDS rose to the hundreds of thousands. Uh, Partly as a consequence, mainstream America began to gradually wake up to the idea that gay people are human beings and maybe didn't deserve to be abandoned to die horribly by a sociopathic government. While most of the country slowly started to accept homosexual people as fellow citizens, Jerry Falwell continued to be a huge piece of shit. (laughs) When the Clinton administration pushed forward its health care reform plan, Falwell complained in a video that this would allow AIDS patients to receive treatment without, quote, any penalty for their abusive lifestyles. What the fuck? (laughs) He's like, if you live, I want you to be punished. I want you to go to jail. For the crime of... For costing government money to treat you. Having a relationship with someone you love. Mm -hmm. What a human piece of shit. Yeah. Really a human piece of shit, Jerry Falwell. In his tax-exempt church, he quoted right-wing firebrand Rush Limbaugh when the pill-addicted old bastard whined that allowing gays in the military would bankrupt the government due to the cost of their AIDS care. And the parade of bigotry went on from there. I'm going to quote from God's right hand again. In 1994, in a mailing sent out to supporters of the Liberty Alliance, Falwell wrote that the Clinton administration is set to award thousands and thousands of immigration visas to foreigners who are infected with the lethal, fatal, and deadly AIDS virus. It's lethal, fatal, and deadly, Sophia. Well, but if it's, well, the first two cancel each other out, so it's really only the last one. It's just deadly. Just deadly. You really dodged a bullet there. Yeah. 
so they can come to America. That's right. The Clinton administration is putting the health, welfare, public safety, and life of every American at risk, just so these homosexuals can hold an Olympic Games for gays and lesbians and transvestites and bisexuals and pedophiles and sodomites and exhibitionists and cross-dressers and every other sexual deviant on the planet with perverted proclivities. That is a long list. That is a long list. But also, he doesn't know shit about what people do. No, he does not. Uh, no, he does not. I will say that's actually one of the things like, you got to give Jerry Falwell that you don't have to give his kids is he was morally consistent. He believed shitty things and he lived shitty things, whereas his kids just say shitty things. And, but, yeah, and they don't believe him. No, 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 they don't at all. So, yeah, I don't know it, which is better, but... There's no better. It's a shit sandwich. It's a shit sandwich, yeah. The fundraising appeal warned that these deviants would infect Americans with the AIDS virus before leaving, defame your pastors, invade your neighborhoods, and recruit your children. Always comes back to that, whether it's, yeah. Just teaching children to be gay, children mm -hmm. just out there. Mm -hmm. Gay immigrants are going to recruit your kids. The late 1990s brought Larry Flint and Jerry Falwell back together. This time as friends. History's oddest bromance started in a 1997 episode of The Larry King Show. Flint was promoting his recent autobiography, and Larry brought Falwell out. The pastor greeted his former rival warmly with literal hugs and kisses, and then started dropping by his office on visits to California. The two had a series of polite debates on morality and First Amendment issues that went on for nearly a decade. This is Larry Flint. In the years that followed up and up until his death, he'd come to see me every time he was in California. We'd have interesting philosophical conversations. We'd exchange personal Christmas cards. He'd show me pictures of his grandchildren. I was with him in Florida once when he complained about his health and his weight, so I suggested he go on a diet that worked for me. I faxed a copy to his wife when I got back home. Now, it's interesting to me because like, you, you kind of see w the core of Falwell's issue. If Larry Flint had just been like a, a poor guy running like a fly-by-night porn magazine out of his like apartment... Falwell would never have wanted to talk to him, but like fundamentally. Just respects another white guy with money. Exactly. That's really what it is for him. Yeah. Yeah. That's his primary loyalty is to other rich guys with money. Like. Gross. Gross. In God's right hand, Michael Winters notes that Falwell was constitutionally incapable of eating healthy food. His favorite breakfast was a cheddar cheese omelet with sausage, which he generally ate at a Bob Evans restaurant near his church. Bob Everybody Evans. looked at me as soon as I said that. I've been getting that shit since I was a kid growing up in the fucking, yeah. As a now elderly man in his 60s and 70s, Falwell continued his brutal schedule traveling across the nation to preach, as well as running Liberty University, raising funds, and of course, preaching at his own church. Age and illness did not slow him down, nor did it put an end to his hot takes. That's a shame. Yeah. In 1999, Jerry threw down one of the hottest takes in the history of hot takes. The Teletubbies, a surreal British children's show that I don't really know how to summarize if you have not seen it and aren't aware of what it looked like, took America by storm that year. Most people saw it as a weird but basically harmless way to keep children entertained. Not but, Jerry. Not I our remember buddy this. Jerry. Yeah, you remember this one? The purple Teletubby? Yeah, he saw it as a sinister attempt to infect the minds of young children with devilish gay propaganda. I'm going to quote from God's right hand again. Falwell's Liberty Journal discerned a sinister agenda regarding Tinky Winky. He is purple, the gay pride color, and his antenna is shaped like a triangle, the gay pride symbol, noted the February issue. If that was not enough, Tinky Winky carried a magic bag that Falwell's editors thought looked suspiciously like a purse. The article accused the producers of intentionally putting subtle depictions of gay sexuality in the show and said that such role modeling of the gay lifestyle was damaging to the moral lives of children. 
again, such nerds. Yeah. Such fucking nerds. Gigantic fucking nerds. And the way Larry Flint summarizes this issue is fucking hysterical to me. When he was getting blasted for his ridiculous homophobic comments after he wrote his Tinky Winky article cautioning parents that the purple Teletubby character was in fact gay, I called him in Florida and yelled at him to leave the Tinky Winkies alone. Oh my God. (laughs) Larry Flint. That's amazing. Mm. You know what else is amazing, Sophia? These goods and services? Products and services. Sorry. We don't sell goods on this show. Goods and our products. And products are goods. Products. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com behind. That's mintmobile.com behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. We're back. 
I'm taking some flack from Sophie, but I've still got my bagel sling. Ugh. Oh, yeah. It's going to do some damage, Sophie. Going to do some damage. So, there were some signs over the years that Jerry Falwell might soften his attitude towards homosexuality in the same way he'd reversed his opinion on segregation. One of these was the torture and murder of Matthew Shepard in October of 1998. Fred Phelps in the Westboro Baptist Church, being giant pieces of shit, protested Shepard's funeral. Jerry Falwell, being a slightly smaller piece of shit, had enough human decency to be sickened by this. He got together with a Christian pro-gay activist to hold a summit on nonviolence within the evangelical community. Literally the, hey, we should stop murdering gay people, maybe. Yeah, meeting. meeting. We should talk about not murdering <laughs> gay people. Which, You know, if I it guess, took him, what, six years, four to five years when he had that epiphany about segregation. Yeah. So... You know, he was really turning it over in his head. Is it wrong for us to murder gay people? Yeah. Yeah, he was really, he's like, I'm going to take my time on this. Yeah, he really did. So Falwell failed, refused to reconsider his position that homosexuality uh, went against the Bible and the will of God. But he did stand in front of a pastiche of photos of murdered gay people and state his desire for peace. Inside both camps are people more interested in peace than in war and glorifying God than in getting their point across. He mentioned his friendship with Larry Flint as evidence that he and his ministry supported love for people, regardless of whether he approved of their behavior. He said to the gay community, we have not done that with you. We apologize for that. We ask your forgiveness for that. So. Yay. Yay. It's the rightish thing done eventually. Gross. Kind of. <laughs> sort of. Let's read the next paragraph. Falwell supported George W. Bush in the 2000 election. However, he was not the same force that he had been in the 1980 election. For one thing, he was older and less influential, but the religious right he organized and formed into a weapon of political domination had only grown more powerful. George Bush lost one with the help of evangelical Christianity, and his administration would cater to them in a more direct way than the Reagan administration had, particularly with things like the proposed Defensive Marriage Act. As you might expect, Jerry's reaction to the terrorist attacks on September 11, 2001, were uniquely shitty. While most of America grieved and worked to process their fear and rage in the wake of the most spectacularly deadly terrorist attack in history, Jerry lashed out at, who else? Gay people. Yeah, you got it. You're really getting a feel for this guy. Well, I just also remember this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. Two days after the attack, while guesting on Pat Robertson's show, The 700 Club, Falwell said this. What we saw on Tuesday, as terrible as it is, could be minuscule if, in fact, God continues to lift the curtain and allow the enemies of America to give us probably what we deserve. Pat, who is also a huge piece of shit, agreed. Jerry, that's my feeling, and I feel we've just seen the antechamber to terror. We haven't even begun to see what they can do to the major population. Shortly after that, Falwell got down to explaining who he thought was really to blame for all this. The abortionists have got to bear some burden for this because God will not be mocked. And when we destroy 40 million little innocent babies, we make God mad. I really believe that the pagans and the abortionists and the feminists and the gays and the lesbians who are actively trying to make that an alternative lifestyle, the ACLU, people for the American way, all of them have tried to secularize America. I point the finger in their face and say, you help this happen. <laughs> I mean, there's... Thanks for helping the country heal. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Thanks. I, what I love about the wake of 9-11 is how it brought us all together. Yeah. It really made us the best version of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what, a, what a beautiful way. If only we could get to, back to that. Yeah. How can we be the people we were at that moment? Yeah. Before we 
blamed ourselves and when we blamed everyone else. Women and abolitionists and Yeah, gays the ACLU. And, yeah, gay CLU. I mean, there's an extent to which that we could just take this, we could like adopt this as kind of an empowering statement. Like, yeah, we did make 9-11 happen, guys. <laughs> we fucked those towers up. Good, good on us. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, so what's it like? What's the weather like in in, in, in your end of Cancelvania right I, now? I, I will let you know when my uh, I helped cause 9-11 t-shirts go on sale at Tee Public. Sophie, how uh, how close are we to getting those out? <laughs> she just said, <laughs> fucking kill me, and I appreciate that. These comments caused an uproar, which was not enough to stop President Bush from inviting Jerry Falwell to speak at the National Cathedral that year. Shortly after that, Falwell released a non-apology apology. Despite the impression some may have from news reports today, I hold no one other than the terrorists and the people and nations who have enabled and harbored them responsible for Tuesday's attack on this nation. I sincerely regret that the comments I made during a long theological discussion on a Christian television program yesterday were taken out of their context and reported that my thoughts, reduced to sound bites, have detracted from the spirit of this day of mourning. Okay, that's a lie. We all heard what you said. What? You know, that doesn't strike you as a real apology? Mm-hmm. The fact that there's no I'm sorry in there? But all he said was, you helped this happen. He's not saying that they committed 9-11. They just enabled 9-11. You wouldn't arrest a guy for enabling a murderer, right? Uh, yes. Oh. That's conspiracy to commit murder. Oh, it, then it does sound like Jerry Falwell yeah. was accusing that us all of that. kind of does sound like that. kind of does sound like that. Buy our new I Helped <laughs> Enable 9-11 shirts. Tea Sophie's public. not a fan of this one. I want to take the bagel sling so bad. No, it's mine. And aim it at your stupid face right now. Uh, Oh, the shirt could be somebody knocking down the North Tower with a bagel from... Robert, you're fucking fired. Stop. (laughs) I'm going to be in Cancelvania by nightfall. You're already you, there. You are in the <laughs> lowest levels of Pennsylvania right now. Louis C.K. is several floors above you. Wait, does this you mean understand? that Aziz Ansari is going to open for me now? No, he is doing better than you. Oh, At this shit. Point, you would hope to open you're for like him, and you're not with allowed. You're Weinstein right okay, now. Okay, yeah, okay. You're Weinstein level. Cosby is in your kitchen making you tea right now. Let me try my canceled apology, uh, okay? I am sorry that comments I made about me causing 9-11 were taken out of context (laughs) uh, by you and that it offended you. I am sorry that you were offended by the things that were said by someone who may have been me, but I do not apologize specifically for the statement itself. Or for its intent. Or for its intent. Was that a good apology? Yeah, I feel a lot better. Thank you. I learned a lot from the people that I've <laughs> written about. So, uh, yeah, well, the neocons Falwell had helped into office launched two disastrous, very poorly waged and executed wars that crippled our military and loaded future generations down with unspeakable debt. Jerry Falwell spent his last few years seeing to his empire. In 2004, he opened a law school at Liberty University, stating, We plan to turn out conservative lawyers the same way Harvard turns out liberals. Notable leftist bastion. Harvard. Yeah, I was like, what? 
In 2005, his health took a sharp downswing. He suffered a heart attack, which he, unfortunately, survived. He recovered, but took this as a sign that he should start preparing to hand over the reins of his empire to his son, Jerry Jr. Why don't you take that as a sign that you're being evil? It's like 9-11, the gays caused... What did what, how how did you cause your own fucking heart attack, buddy? Is it's it weird. too much hate? They never they seem never to... seem to really think that Mm-mm. God did that no. because they were bad. That is weird. Super strange. Yeah, uh, even in the twilight of his life, Jerry Falwell continued to play shitty pranks on people. Oh my God! The yeah, prankster. We're getting back. one more prank story. Oh my God! I'm going to quote from what God's right murder? hand. Come on. He just joked about murdering people. He drove his SUV around campus, developing a new prank of revving the motor at students as they walked in front of the vehicle. That's <laughs> not a prank. Not That's a prank. threatening to run children over with your car. I love the shit. All shitty people have the same definition of prank, and it's making people cruelty. fear for their lives. Yeah, it's I love just it. straight up cruelty. Yeah, it's beautiful. He equipped his SUV with an especially loud horn that he would blow at unsuspecting pedestrians. What a dick. That's at least closer to a prank. What a fucking dick. <laughs> On May 15th, 2007, Jerry Falwell ate breakfast at the Bob Evans restaurant near his house. Afterwards, he entered his office and suffered a massive heart attack. Thankfully, the paramedics failed to revive him this time, and he stayed dead. And that, praise the Lord, is the end of Jerry Falwell's story. But it is not the end of the Falwell story, and it was only the beginning of the story of the institution known as Liberty University. But that, my friends, is a story that will have to wait for another week. But I have it written here. Sophia? Yeah. How are you feeling? I mean, refreshed, because now he's dead. I feel like there's only one way to really celebrate the death of Jerry Falwell. If that bagel hits either of us, I will punch you in the nuts. You'll be right to do so. And I'll film it. And I, okay. But I, I just have, it's a deal. Oh. I fell behind you. You don't even deserve to throw it. That's like the erectile dysfunction of bagel throwing. Totally. Fell right out of the hoop. All right. <laughs> All right, guys, it's going to happen now. There's no stopping it. Yeah! That was dangerously near (laughs) Sophie's head. It was. Anything you do with a sling in a tiny enclosed recording studio is going to be dangerous. I mean, if one day Sophie slips something in your drink and you I'll do not, deserve it. And you have a massive heart attack after eating at Bob Jones Diner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bob <laughs> Jones Diner. <laughs> I mean, you're going to get your use, right? The cheese omelet with sausage. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have a nice nap. A hater attack. Oh, no. Sophie's huh? definitely huh? going to be the one who brings hate causes your heart attack? Hater attack? A hater attack. All right. I have to leave. I feel like hate kept him alive. <laughs> yep. Uh, you want to plug your pluggables? Sure. Um, you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Sophia, S O F I Y A, and you can find me co-hosting Private Parts Unknown, my podcast with Courtney Kosak about love and sexuality around the world, and 420 Day Fiance, my podcast with Miles Gray about 90 Day Fiance. And you can find me on the internet at BehindTheBastards.com, where we'll have all of the sources for this. Uh, I'd also like to say special thanks to Corey, who made this wonderful sling that has improved all of our days so Burn much. in hell, Corey. You burn <laughs> in hell. Uh, and if someone wants to um, draw fan art of uh, George Clooney and Noah Wiley kissing, mm-hmm. touching penises, whatever. Taking I, I, down the World Trade Center? Please tweet that at oh, me. What? what the fuck? <laughs> Tweet that at me. And also, 
cancel Robert. He's been canceled. Hashtag cancel Robert. Hashtag cancel Robert. Plug your plug bowls. Uh, t-shirts, tpublic.com. At Bastards Pod, Twitter and Instagram. I'm I write okay on Twitter, where you can tell me uh, that I'm canceled to my digital face. <laughs> and this is the end of the episode. This is not the end of the episode. What else do we do, Sophie? We have another podcast with Katie Stoll and Cody Johnston called... We, we have another podcast with Katie Stoll and Cody Johnston called NPR's Radio Lab? I hate you so much. Oh, no, we actually, we actually, we actually, we actually beat them last week in the ratings yeah, with we our did. show worst year ever all right you brought it back i, I like it back. that thank i like you. that thank you. here's your bagel i gotta oh i'm gonna throw it one more time this is this one's for you Corey. i feel like it's coming yeah. from me well, <laughs> you tried to get Sophia, which I do not really did i, I wasn't I, I can't aim this thing There's i do no not co-sign <laughs> I've gently kicked it towards you now. All right. Well, that's all the bagel throwing I'm going to do today with this sling. Great. Thanks, Corey. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.